All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is Alex Shaw with your Risk Matters podcast. We're in Madison Heights today with Lisa Stinnett of Commercial Steel and Brent Long from Scott Insurance and then Jimbo Redmond from Scott Insurance. How you doing, Alex? You getting rusty? It's been, what, uh, what <laughs> two months since we had a podcast? I, I'm ashamed to say I think it's been a bit longer than that, which is why we're especially grateful to have Lisa on here today. Thank you for being willing to have a conversation with us and talk a little bit about your story and about Commercial Steel's story. My pleasure. So uh, tell me a, a little bit about, well, actually, what just came to mind is we've got two folks in the room who've been uh, engaged with commercial steel for maybe over 20 years. Is that right? Yes, I think it's, it's a little over 20 years when I first met Lisa, and uh, she has a great story. And uh, if, if she wants to tell this, um, when we met, I was working for the insurance, an insurance carrier, and commercial still was in the assigned risk market with their workers' mm-hmm. comp because their loss history had been poor. True. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> Move on. <laughs> Next. No. Actually, we were assigned risk, and that's how I came to know Brent. And he came out uh, and introduced himself. And actually, I think even before that, um, maybe maybe about three months before that, I was in my dad's office. And my dad is the one who started Commercial Steel. And um, he was, he said, hey, let me look at this. He said, can you believe that we've had this many accidents? And I, there was a loss run report on his desk, and I'd never seen one before. And some things just kind of jumped out at me. And I said, Dad, would you mind if I took that and just kind of looked it over for a couple of days? And he said, go ahead. And immediately some things jumped out at me, and and we discovered some patterns with some of the incidents that we were having. And and I thought, well, how can we control that? I had no idea that risk control was even a thing, hmm. quite honestly. Um, and It's I, not to m- most <laughs> of the people on the planet, but <laughs> there are a select few who listen to this podcast who find it fascinating. Well, and I did. I, I honestly did. And um, it wasn't long after that that I met Brent, and we started a conversation about what can we do better here? How can we get this thing turned around? And the, 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 basically, we wanted to keep our people safe and drive down the premiums of what we were paying and, and make CSE an attractive risk to insurers. And we knocked that one out of the park. <laughs> little yeah. little fist bump there yeah. for the folks who can't sit in and see it. But, um, well, that's so what's interesting to me, and Brent, you can maybe speak a bit more towards and both of you really about how long that took and the degree to which you saw the impact. But one of the most fascinating things we we see is that when you're kind of out on the edge, maybe in, in the assigned risk as you guys were, it's fascinating how it takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of uh, motivation. But once you start creating a just a hint of accountability, it's pretty remarkable how just a small little step forward can can create an, an outcome that's pretty significant, right, that, that bears a lot of positive results. So what were some of the first things that you guys, as you look through the loss runs, I mean, even just having the conversation with people, it's, as you said, it wasn't a thought really before. So what are some of the, the little things that you, you noticed right away and that you started enacting or at least educating folks on? 
Well, the very first thing that I noticed was that we had a lot, as far as a frequency issue, we had a lot of eye injuries. Hmm. And, of course, we have a lot of welders, a lot of uh, people that, that burn torches, and they just weren't wearing eye protection. And we also had some very severe falls, and that was really what drove the the costs up, both from a human standpoint and from a financial standpoint. We we had a lot of iron workers who believed that uh, fall protection was for wimps. They were very (laughs) old school. Um, In fact, they, they never had worn fall protection before. And so um, I started talking to my dad, and he is old school as well, and he has never been hurt on the job. Um, And I had to explain to him that not everybody is him. You know, we're we're dealing with a a new group of people now. And and, um, so he got behind the program, honestly. And and I remember I brought in a full-body harness, and I said, Dad, I think we need to – move to this and he just kind (laughs) of looked at me like I'd lost my mind so he put it on we were in the conference room he put it on and he was walking like a duck down the hallway in that harness to see if he could have full range of movement and he said you know I I think we can do this and so then I showed him two lanyards not just one but two and I think he pretty much was sure that I was crazy at that point but he stood behind me some folks here stood behind me, and uh, we we took it out into the field to the men. There were a few evenings I was afraid to walk to my car because I thought somebody's <laughs> going to take me out. <laughs> but uh, in all honesty, it, it was a game changer for us. We virtually eliminated those falls, and that was a great feeling. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so it, it's something that it's interesting to, to interact with folks like you who – like safety is a tough sell and risk is kind of a tough sell. It's not, you know, it, it's attractive to a lot of folks to get engaged operationally. One of the folks we interact with a lot, Todd Conklin, who's a consultant, he'll tell you that in the best organizations, the lines between, between operations and safety become very blurred. Almost you can't discern them. Um, but even at that, it's, it takes, I think, a, a pretty unique kind of solutions-driven person to lean into risks. So what what were some of the other responsibilities you had at the time um, that were on your plate? Because I think safety and risk, that that plate can often get kind of shoved to the back of the line when you have operations in front but of you. But don't, don't leap past the significance of the cultural transformation of an organization where they're very rooted in the machismo mm. of – Mm-hmm. how the job is done and historically, and you mentioned earlier watching old YouTube videos of iron workers from the 20s and 30s up in their suits and, you know, walking the iron with no protection and eating lunch and <laughs> everything Absolutely. else. Absolutely, yeah. And so, you know, a lot of companies talk about changing a culture, um, but I don't think you can underestimate that shift and and. Sp- specifically the shift of your dad to say we can go with this because that's who everybody's looking to if mm-hmm. he said nah i don't know it's not for me but it's for everybody else then might not have gone so well it never would have happened 
honestly, if mm. my dad had not gotten behind it. Uh, and he was a very hard sell because, like I said earlier, he is old school. and, and he, he didn't like to wear a shirt. <laughs> he he <Yeah>. did not. <laughs> it, it was hard to have all the clothes on, let alone adding a, a harness. It's funny. There's some pictures of, of working, you know, right. many, many decades ago. That's right. And and he was very, he knew, he, he, he knew and still knows um, this industry so well and, and was very prolific and productive in what he was doing. As the company grew, however, he could not manage every crew anymore. It was it, the span of control was much smaller when we were smaller, and so we were safer because he was the one driving safety in the in the field. Um, as we grew, he was not able to get to every crew, and so we needed to do some things differently. Um, it was a hard sell, uh, an extremely hard sell, especially from someone in the accounting department, which is <laughs> where I was. Um, and I'm a female having never lifted um, anything to do any steel erection or welding or rigging of any kind, never operated a crane. And I'm going out uh, telling folks how they should be safe at what they're doing. It was it was rough. Yeah. It really was rough. How, how long would you say, and, and I understanding that it, this is frankly ongoing, right? It, it's, we it never, never ends. Right. We never quite arrive. And, no. and that's something we talked about with, with Rick Jones from MSC on a podcast some months ago, was just the constant need for somebody in an organization to quarterback, whether it's responding to a claim and, and orienting people towards how to report and document or wearing their fall protection or their eye protection or whatever the what it, their gloves, whatever it might be, it requires constant attention. Um, but but I guess from zero to maybe 70% or 50%, how long did it take you guys to get folks using their fall protection? Wow, that's a great question. It was probably at least a, a six-month process hmm. to get to 50%, I would say. And, and we didn't get 100% buy-in until we went zero tolerance. And it took, I think I fired three people. And then we, and it was hard because one of them was a foreman, a really great foreman. You know, you don't want to lose a good foreman. That, that guy's out there. He's running the job. He's making you money. He's, he's uh, inspiring his crew and you take him out by fire him and, and people get upset. But what it did was it said, we have no tolerance. I, I, I got to the point where I, we had a very bad fall. And this guy fell 20 feet. He was wearing his full body harness. He was not tied off. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. The D-ring on the back of his harness crushed his spine. Mm. And I was by his hospital bed, and I thought to myself, I will never do this ever again. And I came back to the office. By this point, I'm CEO. My dad was um, semi-retired at the at the time, and I I just went in. I went all in, and I I sent out. I called every foreman that night, and I said, "This is what we're doing, and this is why, and this is what's going to happen if you and or your folks don't comply." Hmm. 
And like I said, I fired three people, but n- never again yeah, have so I stood by that hospital bed. There, there are volumes in, in all of that response as to things that we see. The, the first, which is you in your infancy and going out and feeling like it was overwhelming because you don't oh, really have the operational knowledge. And, and I would say you'd be amazed how many companies are dealing with that on a daily basis today, even though they don't even admit it. And they've got somebody who they've given the title of safety guy or safety gal or safety director, and they don't have a lick of respect from the people in the field. And they're going and trying to put their policies and procedures and nothing's happening. And so I applaud you for that. And then secondly, um, what always happens when a company decides that they want to take action is that it's usually the top guy. <laughs> right. You know, it's the producer. It's the guy who gets it done when nobody else who's not wearing the harness or who's, you know, not wearing the seatbelt or who's not following the safety protocol. And, and that's the tough sort of defining moment of a culture is how are you going to deal with that? Are you going to look the other way? Or are you going to say, you know what, it's more important. And kudos to you guys for, you know, doing doing the tough, awkward stuff. Yeah, it's funny. I, 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 I'm I not a huge team sports uh, fan. I don't watch a lot of it, but I do. He watches kind of, uh, MMA. Just yeah, so you that's know. right. And, and Jimbo <laughs> never never lets, uh, lets an opportunity go by to point that out to folks. Um, but I do, I do enjoy the study of kind of the team and, and how that works on a small level, because I think companies, the, the goal is to be somewhat representative of that. When you watch a new coach come on to a team, what they'll tell you is you'll see some, some students, some student athletes, you know, leave, you know, part ways, they'll go pursue another opportunity, another school. Sometimes they're kicked out. Sometimes they leave voluntarily, but what you'll always hear from the coaches is this is a pivotal moment in in the life cycle of our business. Some of them will call their teams a business. They'll say, "I'm the as a coach, I'm the CEO. We need everybody who's on the team to be quite literally on the team, rowing in the same direction. And so what's fascinating to me is you'll see really promising, really important, valuable players part ways with the team if they're not quite in sync with the organization. And, sure. And to me, that's such a huge lesson. And that's one thing that I recall is you guys, you guys have really led the charge for several of my clients now with your first move forward initiative that, I mean, for, for those who have any experience in the auto market, um, and, and the losses have been pretty significant over the past few years, just industry wide. And, and you guys are one of the, the flagship com- companies, I would say that, that, took that by the horns and really leveraged technology to completely flip the script in a matter of months. And we did. And one of the things that you did during that time, if I recall, uh, recall correctly, is you let go, I can't remember if it was a foreman or somebody in, in leadership um, who had had several violations. And what a profound message to say, not only is it the carrot, but it's also the stick. I mean, you have the monthly driver reward program. You went out of your way to... To, to recognize and, and celebrate people whose driving scores were really good. But there was also, in a short period of time, hey, we're also really serious about this. We're, we're doing this because we care. We're doing this because it matters. That was a part of a, a larger, beyond just the first move forward, but um, a larger fleet initiative. 
For sure. And you know what was so great about that was that um, that was not my idea. That that was birthed out of our safety committee. Mm-hmm. And all of us looking very transparently and with great clarity where we were headed if we didn't get some things turned around. And so the safety committee uh, decided that that was a direction that would be a positive one for us and presented it to me and we went with it and it's been extremely successful. So one of the things, I mean, we've got this safety committee here that meets on a quarterly basis. Um, when was that committee started and, and what's kind of the thought behind it? You've got kind of a cyclical pattern of folks coming through GW just, just, uh, parted ways with the safety committee. So he, he thinks, um, right. But, but you've got, what I've been impressed with is your team has consistently just been in, uh, incredibly industrious and, and own one thing it's got, we've talked a lot about over the past few years is own better. And it's just kind of a, I don't want to say a mandate, but an encouragement to employees. Look, this success rests on all of us individually. And so just whatever you're doing, own it well. Right. Um, and I see that in the safety committee as well. So I asked a lot of questions in there, but backing up, what what was the start of the safety committee? And and had you guys had one before the, the one we've had for several years? We Yes, we did. And it was, it, it came out of back in the Brent Long days when we had just begun looking at safety. And what happened was I really transitioned out of the accounting department and went in to safety full-time for the company. And as I studied best practices and what I thought could really drive employee engagement and buy-in into safety, the safety committee was fascinating to me because I thought if we take this and uh, put our tradespeople on it, you know, not just a lot of office managers or engineers or project managers, but the, the guys that are out there in it every day, um, would they help us drive the change and buy in? And they did. And so I guess we've had one now for about 25 years, more or less. Mm. Um, I'm not even on it. I, I firmly believe that if you surround yourself with great people and you give them the opportunity to step up and and respect their ideas that they will bring you gold and our team does that for us so well i think the big word there is respect their ideas and i think that's obviously something that if you sort of compared safety committees in most companies there that element doesn't exist <laughs> and so um, what happens is is it becomes more of a gripe session it becomes more sort of focused on stuff that's sort of on the surface but not really all that important and and it it doesn't really lead to great things and and empowerment and and feeling like employees have a voice and it sounds like you guys have just been sensitive to to listen and and take action and and that's you know that that that's great and that's a big difference well I think that goes back to really wanting to get at the root cause of what's not going well and and fix it. Um, I think as business people, particularly in, um, hmm, how to say this, in family-owned businesses, it is easy to buy into everything's great, 
everything's wonderful. You know, we're all doing such a great job. Um, we love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, sure we do. And when we're doing a great job, then, you know, let's pat ourselves on the back. But when we need to roll up our sleeves and really be honest with ourselves about what's going on, let's do that and make it better for everybody. Yeah, it's an interesting, I mean, there's so much to that, I mean, around the safety committee conversation. I, I really see safety committees as a means to reconcile what would I, what the ideal and, and then reality. Sure. And, and to bridge that divide. And so often, um, and Brent and I have been, I've been lucky to ride, you know, to, to, as we say, carry Brent's bags over the past few years to these meetings. And and what you find is, look, if we're sitting around as an executive team and we talk about a lot of things and maybe they are good ideas, but if we leave and we go out to the field and nobody even knows we have a safety committee, that's that's a big problem. Right. And so the goal for me is always to go grassroots. And, and as Conklin would say and, and says in most of his talks, he says, you know, you, you have a, a spear and you've got... The tip of the spear, which is your front line and your field employees and your shop employees. And then you've got towards the, the feathers of, of, you know, the, the back of the spear. Um, that's that's executive leadership. And you've got people in the, in the tip exposed to the most amount of risk with the least amount of ability to change the situation or change um, the system they're operating in to affect that risk unless they're given a seat at the table unless they're given an opportunity to share their ideas and also not have those ideas completely st- completely stymied. Um, because it doesn't take but so many times for somebody to hear no before they go, you know what, I'm just not going to share any more of my ideas. Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. I think another way to shut down that, that feedback loop is to not act on any of the suggestions that mm-hmm. they make. Um, because they, if they're making them, they care. And that's something that ought to be applauded. Um, I, it's funny. I I love the safety summit that we do because that's an opportunity for me to get face to face with a lot of the folks that I normally wouldn't. And they're so enthusiastic about, uh, what we're doing and how we're pouring into them. And they have great ideas and they, they, they're eager to share. I think that's phenomenal. Why wouldn't we want that uh, information? Yeah, and so the 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 question is always, how do you keep it from getting stale? You know, as you always. have these safety summits and you've got these safety committees, and I'll, I'll note two things. One is that that Harley Caster, who's who's running point in in safety now, has been to just about every workshop, whether it's been in North Carolina or in Virginia, that 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 we've invited him to, and. A big part of that is just the continuous learning component that's so important, I think, to us at Scott, but also to some of the higher-performing companies. And to that end, one of the things we've talked about in the safety committee with you guys is, you know, we had a, a, a fall from um, from some steel a few months back. And I remember the conversation being, wow, we failed successfully. We failed safely because we had all of our, our fall protection on. Right. And and so while some companies may look at that through a lens and, and we certainly don't want people falling. Right. Right. But the whole purpose of the fall protection is to allow us to go home at the end of the day and think about 20, 30, 40 years ago. That would be a whole different story here at CSE. 
Yes. And now we've evolved to the point of acknowledging, man, wow, when we fail, so long as we fail safely, we, we can go to home and f- go home and feel pretty good about it. Um, but there's a lot that of evolution that takes place in these, in these risk committees. And, and I, I applaud you guys for kind of constantly looking out and, and being a part of investigating what other opportunities there are, what are different companies doing and, and how can we leverage that to, to ourselves improve? I see a lot of books on your shelf here too. So that's, that's indicative of, of, uh, of kind of a continuous learning mindset. I definitely am committed to being a lifelong learner and um, having a culture of, of learning and education is very important to me for our company and and our employees. Um, you know, it's keeping the message fresh. And uh, I was I've been reading a book by B.J. Fogg, who is a behavioral scientist, and he says that the motivation to uh, enact behavior change. How does that occur? And and his premise is that it's uh, motivation and a um, an activity and a trigger. And how do you combine those three? What's the trigger that we need for our, our crew to stop for five minutes and reassess what's going on on the job site? What's the trigger we need for that guy to put on his PPE every day, inspect it every day, every time? Um, because those those are the little moments that have the big impact. Mm. So and, and it's being consistent about that. I think Harley does a phenomenal job leading our safety department. Our safety reps within that department are just completely bought in and fully committed. And um, they take the moments of correction out in the field and turn those into teaching moments. And then they come back to me and they say, well, we're doing really well in this, but I think that we need to tweak this a little bit. And here's here's three ideas of how we can do that. What do you think? Um, so it's a very interactive process for us. Never do we feel like we've arrived. You know, it takes just, you don't get off course in these big sweeping moments. It's the little moments of neglect or not paying attention or accepting something less than your standard, that's what, in my experience, will get you off track. So we're constantly, you know, measuring the course. Are we on course? That's what we talk about. Gosh, that's so, that's so rich. I mean, that, that's so smart. If you're around us long enough, you'll hear that, A, risk plays out over the course of a lifetime, and, and that also risk and, and business really is a game of inches. And so to kind of have a constant barometer on and are we drifting is so right. valuable. And I think a good metric for that is are our leaders living out what we're saying we should do consistently? Is it what we are doing? And I look back at, at your, your dad and think about him, you know, wobbling down the hall, duck walking down the hall and fall protection and going, yeah, we can do this. And, and to me, that, that image, when we pull in this parking lot and every single one of your vehicles is backed in, those things that you see, those small, subtle things that, that indicate and inform what a culture really is and what it looks like, that those are what drive the behavior, I think, to your point, that trigger that, you know, this is, this is just our value proposition. This is our sure. standard, and we're going we're gonna to well, live you, to you it. You said, and just before you said it, I was about to say, you know, it sounds like, it sounds like they're all rowing in the same direction. Yeah. And sounds like the ship is moving in the right direction. And, and the other part I really like about that is, is it's not 
it's not everything's not clearly black and white and everything's not in the manual um it, you know you you can tell people to do stuff all day long um but there has to be more to it and and you're exploring the depths of what that more to it is mm. and th- and there's not necessarily a right answer um and, and you're not going to figure it out today but you figure out by creating an organization that that's focused on learning and and not just book learning that that's a part of it but it's how how do you combine that with the day-to-day operational knowledge of the guys who are out Mm -hmm. there adjusting to the variability in the daily work routine and overcoming those obstacles so they can have the appropriate triggers to take a time out or put all our their um PPE on or tie off or whatever it may be. Hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, the workforce has changed and it's constantly changing. And so I think, uh, you know, what worked 40 years ago doesn't necessarily work now. And so we've had to evolve as a company. But what we've stayed true to is the principles that my dad founded this company on. And the number one is excellence. You know, how can we be excellent Um, in safety? How can we be excellent in production? How can we be excellent in how we care for our team and our team members and their families? And so everything that you see that's come to fruition in anything that we've done since goes right back to my father. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's a good point because, you know, 40 40 years ago, safety excellence wasn't wasn't very high up on the list of priorities in most organizations. I don't think it was even a word, was it? <laughs> yeah. Pro- pro- I, I, I don't know, but I, I something tells me I doubt it. Probably not. I think one probably the metric See, was did did you rear make rear facing station wagons. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. Yeah, the the metric the it was outcome based. Right. If if everybody went home without injury, then you were safe. And now yes. today what we realize is that that there's a heck of a lot that goes on, and and in many cases it's chance, circumstances, inches, seconds. Any any you know um, deviation could could potentially lead to a negative consequence, and the absence of it, as Jimbo's coined over the years, is is really nothing other than the power of no result. So not wearing your right. seatbelt and thinking that just because you got to your destination safely that that you were safe the whole time. I, I, was, I was thinking back when she talked about the old guys. Like, the thought never... <laughs> we, we've got a baby coming in the room. Yeah. That's my granddaughter, Layla. All right. Layla. And my daughter-in-law, Lexi, with my son, Chris. See, this is what it's like to run a, a, a family business. This is the best part of running a family business. Hi, honey. Hi, sweetheart. She's waving to everybody. So, is that the future future one day CEO of of Commercial Steel? If she wants to be, yeah, she'll have to talk to her dad. (laughs) She might be right now. Yeah, she's coming into coming into hold court. Oh, does Mimi get a hug? (laughs) This is Layla, and Layla counts on us sending her dad home safe every day. Don't you, bud? Yeah. And how old is Layla? She's a year and a half old. A year and a half old. Yeah. All right. Got some gold boots on. I like Looking those. good. That's beautiful. beautiful. That really, I mean, that really, it's funny. You, you, We have folks who put pictures of their kids say and hi. say hello. Can you say hi? <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> that really does bring it home. 
So thank you for coming by. Love you guys. Good to see you guys. Bye, honey. <laughs> so that's a great a way treat. to round it out. That's because what it's it, all about, right? Yeah. It it is, honestly. It, it really is. And I think really safety can be distilled down in this company in that very thing because every person here has a mom or a dad or a daughter or a son or a grandchild. And what is our obligation as a company? What is our moral calling in how we manage safety? And uh, it, it's very personal. It, it gets very personal. Yeah, so that's a, I mean, I think if you're around us long enough and, and we really learn a lot, m- most most things from our clients, frankly. And and if you've been around enough, you've seen us talk about quality of life and, and that Jimbo Maybe you run with that because you're the one that really kind of created this conversation around people and places and and things and and I'll let you I'll let you round this podcast out. Well, I don't I don't really know what to say except you see the cycle of life that walks in the door here and and it it makes you think. You know, I, I always say that you know you spend um, more wake hours with other people in other places and doing other things than what you're really all about and. So if that's not the foundation of um, minimizing and controlling risk and safety, then then what is? Because that's 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 what we're all in, in it for. Whether it's our personal life or our business life, uh, you know, there there there's more to it. And if you can make that the motivation, it suits everybody's eye. Yeah. What what's in it for me? And that's a heck of a what's in it for me. Amen. Well, Lisa, thank you. It was great to sit down and talk with you. Brent, fun to see you guys talk through some of the <laughs> couple of decades back, though I hesitate to say decades. Starts uh, to date us. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> well, today. I remember riding around with Lisa when she was pregnant with one of her sons. Really? Wow. For sure. Yes, Daniel. That is, that is very true. <laughs> yep. Um, well, I just, I want to say thank you for everything that Scott does uh, for our team, you guys give us such great support and encouragement. And it's wonderful to have that, um, not just when, you know, we've, we've got an incident or we have an issue or can you help us with this contract or we need a rider here or whatever the case may be. But day in and day out, you guys show up for us and make us better. And for that, we're very grateful. Well, thank you very much for that, and um, and and thanks so much for taking the time with us today. For those who tuning in, we appreciate you, and and uh, hope to catch you next time. Till then, thanks. Take care. Appreciate it. <laughs>